Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Yadu Goplin, CEO and founder of Esper, an Android device management platform that's raised over $100 million in funding. Yadu, thanks for chatting with me today. Good to be here. Yeah, so before we begin talking about what you're building, could we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your background? Yeah, so we have been building this Esper, the company, for about the last five years. But before that, I spent about 20 years between Microsoft and Amazon, mostly doing engineering work, I'm running large engineering teams in my later stage of my career. But all of it is kind of around devices and building great device experiences. And that's really kind of, it's like my passion is like how to make device experiences better. And Esper really brings everything from a past together. And what would you say if we you know, put those organizations side by side, what's the biggest difference between working at Amazon and working at Microsoft? It was kind of, if you take a look at the background, where they started on their DNA, Microsoft, obviously, uh, from ground up, software, OS, operating system, that, that was their main, and everything else was built from there. So that shows like they had like a lot of knowledge about how to build systems, etc. And Amazon, their DNA is retail, but they're a software company that was doing retail, not uh, supposed to a uh, retail company, but they had to build all their knowledge of how to build other systems like operating systems or even the cloud, which they did really well, and they do take on these endeavors and are able to succeed on it. So it's kind of the, their DNA shows through a lot in how they kind of build out teams and build out processes and build out systems. One of the big, best examples is like just even how R and D uh, in Microsoft you had a separate R and D, whereas in Amazon like R and D is like tightly integrated into the product you're building. Mm, interesting. And I know you were most recently at Amazon. So if you had to choose one thing that you really walked away with from Amazon and lessons learned, what would be like that top lesson or just an interesting lesson that you learned from being there? One of the key things, so one of the big projects I worked on was Amazon Go, which is the just walkout stores, Mm -hmm. uh, where it was responsible for the devices and the device infrastructure in these stores. But when they, there was a secret project and when they first introduced me, it's like, I don't know anything about retail. That was the kind of thing. And the, conference that Amazon gave me and the way they work is like, hey, you know how to build things. You, you're going to be able to learn how to build something completely outside your domain space and kind of pick that up, how to build something for a retail shop. And that was completely like, even though it was still devices, it was out of my comfort zone. And they really do that well, is go take people and say, you're going to do this that you've never done before. And you're going to use your past history and you're going to learn more stuff and then build that out. So that was something that was really key and that's really important. That's something that I've taken away when I've started Esper is like, I'm, I'm no longer just engineering. How do I learn about marketing and how do I learn about, learn about sales? All those things. So that gave me the confidence that I could do that. Nice. I love that. And another question I want to ask about is just making that transition from you know, being in a, a technical role at a, a big company like Microsoft or Amazon, and then starting your own company. So the first question there is, uh, let's compare you, know, you today to you know, back when you were 10 years old. 
Would 10-year-old version be surprised that you are CEO and founder of a technology company today? Or is that something that you think you could have foreseen happening? Absolutely would have been surprised. I am introvert by design. Had to kind of get over that, especially as I was doing more and more of the company and building the company, generating funding. I'm really comfortable if you put me in a bunch of people who know my domain, but outside of the domain, I was always very uncomfortable and had to kind of build that up, how to had to learn how to do it. And even 10 year old, I'm like I was I was a geek from very early on. And I was doing coding, I think with fifth grade is when I started coding and working with systems and stuff. So this is something that I had to build over my career. And kind of this is like Esper's culmination of that. It's like how do I completely get out of that and get out of my comfort zone even more? And so my 10 year old um Yada would be very much surprised on how I'm able to kind of learn and get better day by day. And what was the biggest surprise as you transitioned to that CEO and, and founder role, leaving behind those other titles? What was the biggest surprise? Is the breadth of trying to know how to go deep just exactly in places because it's not your space. So you have to kind of let the experts tell you what to do and then be able to kind of hone in on the questions you need to ask to make sure that you understand rather than try to understand everything about it. Whereas as an engineer, I went deep all the time because I had to understand every aspect. Even as an engineering manager, I had to understand every aspect of what we were trying to build. And so I had to kind of have this confidence that others that I've brought into the company are going to be the experts. And then I'm going to understand in a general sense what they are trying to accomplish and then trying to correlate and then make sure everything is attached and may, everything is flowing in the same strategic direction. But knowing that I am not the expert in that area was actually something I had to learn and understand how to do. Interesting. And given the, the two companies you work for, I have a prediction here on how you will answer this, but let's see how it goes. So if you had to choose one CEO that you really admire, who is the CEO and what do you admire about them? Actually, I'm going to surprise you. I've got actually two, but I'll talk about, I'm picking Seattle. People who are not from Microsoft and Amazon, a couple of people who have done startups and more recently been successful. One of them is Eugenio Pace at Odd Zero. I know him. I've talked to him. Amazing guy. One person, um, good personality. And another person, and the reason why I'm doing two is two different personalities. I take two different things from. And the other one is Manny Medina at Outreach. And so one is more technical, a more product-oriented. The other one is more sales, more outgoing, driving. Of course, their product is sales-related. Uh, it would have to be that. So there's a lot to learn from that. And the other thing is like the key thing is Seattle tech scene is just growing. So there's a lot of good examples for me to kind of borrow upon and kind of learn from others that have come before me. And without knowing it, you are supporting my dreams and my goals. Uh, I'm trying to get Manny to come on the podcast because he talks a lot about category creation. I think they're a good example of it. So every time a guest mentions him, I send him the episode and say, all right, come on. You ready to come on yet? So Thank you for that. I have a, another reason to reach out to him. All right. Um, let him know that he'd be great to be on the show. Nice. Sounds good. Now, tell us a little bit more about the Seattle tech ecosystem. So you've obviously been there for a very long time, but how have you seen it evolve maybe just over even the last five years since you started the company? Yeah. So there's a big difference. I think one of the key things, I think, the difference between the Bay Area tech scene and Seattle tech scene is you have like a couple of companies, maybe three or four companies that are the big companies that 
uh, where have been formed. And lot, most of the tech people originate from that. And they've spent, they've done kind of their tour of duty 10 years, 20 years. That's very common. And those companies are still doing well. And then they kind of leave that company at some transition point, which is very similar to me, and say they're going to do a startup. So if you, not all of them, but if you look at the majority of the tech companies that are here, you can kind of go back to a DNA of either it's Amazon or it's um, Microsoft. And now a little bit more are coming, but that's the kind of core DNA that many of us share. And all of them have spent some time there, a lot more time than you'd see from um, companies in the area. You don't see a lot of like super young CEOs. You see what much more what I call uh, experienced CEOs. So that's kind of uh, very common at Microsoft. It's not like it's not a place where you like a 20-year-old says, I'm going to do a startup and I'm going to base it out of Seattle. It's more of the ones that kind of came through the system. Yeah, we've had a, a lot of founders on from Seattle, and I say I, w- I would say that they all are very similar to you. Whereas you know they either worked for Microsoft or Amazon for at least ten years, they were technical people in those positions or in, in technical roles, and then now they've you know started a company based on their own experiences. That seems to be like the the stereotypical founder that I speak to from Seattle. Whereas in you know, the Bay Area, we have the 20-year-old who dropped out of Stanford and just has a dream. So exactly. it's, it's very, uh, very different styles of uh, starting a company. Exactly. Now, what about books? Is there a specific book that's had a major impact on you as a founder and, and really just as a person? You know, This doesn't have to be a business book. It can just be a book that really influenced how you think about and view the world. Yeah, so... I know it's a TV series now, but way before it was a TV series. And so I'm a science fiction buff. Love the Foundation series, Isaac Asimov. And this is like a core, the idea that some one person could put a plan in place that lives beyond him or even generations and kind of is so long living and so like you're thinking way, way, way in the future and setting things in place. That just seemed like an amazing concept. So that's kind of like a science fiction book. But if you want like a business book, I'm really a fan of this, like thinking fast and slow. I'm a big fan of that. And it's supplies for me, like a more of a psychology business book. But I love the fact that I think it has like the great framework uh, for me to like think about decisions that I make on a daily basis. So those are two kind of like one that set me very early on in my life, like impacted me. And as I'm thinking about businesses and et cetera, like, I really like the book by Daniel Kahneman, uh, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And I'm looking at the Foundation series now. I see there's like maybe 10 different books. Is there a specific one that you recommend if I embark on this journey? Um, you got to start from the first one because that's kind of, it sets a flow. And read the books before you watch the series or anything. But it's a similar concept, like what he did with, with the robot. I like where, what is what is the three laws of robotics and stuff like that and set the stage there. But found, I, as a Michael Asimov did it, amazing job. It starts with the hero's mathematician uh, um, that starts off, and he starts, he creates a mathematical kind of process for looking at and thinking about the future. And so it's a great book. You should read it. They're pretty meaty. So Nice. Yeah, I'm always looking for new books, and, and that's why I love asking this question, especially when it's you know, a book that I haven't heard of before or looked into. So I'll definitely check this out, and I'll, I'll circle back with some feedback when I'm finished reading it. Happy to hear that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's let's switch gears now and let's dive a bit deeper into the company. So I know you touched on the background there a little bit when we were doing the intro. So let's maybe just jump straight to 
what the company does. So let's just say that I'm a, I'm a customer. What's the pitch? What problem is the product solving for me? And what's the solution do? So at its simplest form, we want to make software deployment to edge devices easier, faster, more secure. We feel that's a space that has been long neglected and it's kind of been cloud is run by it on how cloud software is deployed. And I'm not talking about, just to be kind of clear, I'm not talking about phones and stuff. I'm talking about dedicated edge devices that are very single purpose. And I can talk about um, lots of examples of that. But whether it's a, an example, just that, so we have the context, whether it's a point of sale or a car, so the software that's running on that is very dedicated. That's, it does only one thing and does one thing well. And the systems and methods and infrastructure for deploying software has really has not kind of been where like the cloud software deployment has been. I'll give you an example for the car. I mean, mm-hmm. Tesla has done, I mean, exactly what we want to do is made software deployment to a car a thing. They did like 152 deployments in 2021. That was like unthinkable before them. You'd never update. You took your car to a service center. And you got something updated. But now everybody's thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. Like a recall is just a software update. Mm -hmm. I can do push new features to a car. And so that's what we want to make easier. And we want to make it easier for everyone. Tesla is an amazing engineering team. They can do it. They're really, I think of them as a software company that's building cars. And so how do we let everyone else that's putting devices out there all over the place to be better at it? And so we want to make that more systematic much more easier. So they're more comfortable. They're more confident. This is a problem that like a CTOs think, like when you have a security issue, CTOs out there are always have this conundrum that they, should I do this update? Is that going to be worse? Am I going to be able to do this safely? Am I going to have outages? All these issues go to them because they just don't think of that. And Esper is solving that problem for them. Esper is making that so that they can have confidence in doing that. We've gone to a world where everybody expects software changes to happen immediately. From where I started, we're operating system. We used to ship an operating system every three years. That's not the way it works anymore. If I report a problem, especially if you're a business and you're using a SaaS product, I need that to be fixed, like even in maybe in a couple of weeks. And so software teams can do that. Software teams are building products and improving the product. They just never had a way to get that deployed to their customers and for the customers can see it. And so our systems allows engineering teams that are continually innovating, fixing um, problems to quickly push those fixes out to those devices in a rapid and a secure and a confident manner. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And I'd love to ask you about MDM, so the category. I feel like I see that a lot, and that's always confused me. When I hear that mobile device management, I just assume that it's talking about mobile phones. But that sounds like I'm wrong, right? It's for any devices, or am I misunderstanding the the definition of the category? No, yeah, you're absolutely correct. So MDM as a category, its DNA comes from managing your enterprise phones. People are bringing in phones, and enterprises wanted a way to make sure that they're managed using password policies, email policies, et cetera. Enterprises also do software deployment on that. So there is some shared 
kind of what you do. But the, if you think about what the purpose of it is, is to m manage those devices the, and protect the enterprise from these devices. What we're trying to do with our like, category of DevOps for devices is to kind of flip it around. These are products that you're building. These are first-class citizens. This is probably one of the reasons why you exist. And you need to treat them not as an afterthought. You need to treat them as first-class citizens, how you approach your software development, how you do approach your software deployment, how you approach even the device management, how you approach the monitoring of these devices and kind of turn the tables around and kind of make sure the focus is on the, on the device and what um, focuses on the product that you're building. Makes a lot of sense. So for you, what's that category then? I, I think you just said the phrase there. What is it called? It's DevOps for devices. Um, so we, DevOps is something that's been around, especially in the cloud. Any modern software company is going to say, yes, we practice DevOps. We can deploy every anytime you want. We can roll back anytime you want. Every software engineering team and operations team that is deploying software to the cloud practices it. We ourselves practice it when I'm building my SaaS side of my product. So it's kind of ubiquitous to any SaaS cloud software company, but that is not the same for devices. And so we're saying this category that DevOps or devices is a thing. You need infrastructure to do it right. And what types of activities are you pursuing right now as you try to create that category and, and get the market to understand what that category is all about? A lot of that is kind of telling the story and being able to have a, a set of experts um, talking about why it's important, why companies need systematic way to building their product, build uh, managing their product, monitoring their product. One of the key things that they need to be able to do is thinking about scale from the very beginning. What is it going to take to like deploy software to 10 versus thousands to hundreds of thousands? So uh, kind of educating them that they need to kind of think ahead, have the infrastructure in place so that they can scale without any hiccups. And so one of the things is we, we do a lot of education on why it's important, why you have to have infrastructure show business value. We have some of the most popular industry blogs that kind of talk about DevOps, also about Android as a class of devices that are really key, um, how many of these devices are Android and why do you need something like the infrastructure that we have. It's really about educating the customer, but also if you think about it, there's um, uh, for the cloud, there's this DevOps maturity curve. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to help customers, even early on in, in cloud, not everybody came into DevOps. It's like they started very early and very at the beginning of that maturity curve and how to take these customers, how to take these prospects through this maturity curve. And they can do it at their own pace. And eventually they kind of latch onto that. They kind of grow into the DevOps kind of maturity curve and then add more and more like automation to their systems. And it's a formula that we kind of work with the customers and work with the industry on how to do that better. And what we've seen is like, People are adopting it, whether they're new technology, new companies that are really into the current technology, current methodology, or even existing companies that are, you wouldn't expect, um, like legacy, they're forever. The, a lot of them are starting to um, adopt it. Though it's like one of the value propositions that I like to talk about is regardless of where you are in the maturity curve, their engineers are building software in everybody's adopted kind of sprints and agile methodology. You're always building and improving your software. 
But if you don't have a mechanism to get the software to your customers and get feedback, it's not very agile. So that's one huge value proposition that we kind of help our customers learn. And does this replace the line item that organizations have for MDM, or is this a new line item that's being created? Or how do you think about that? Because I think that's always one of the issues when it comes to creating a category is if you need to create a new line item around it, then you know that, that's added cost. So is this creating a new one or is it replacing that legacy MDM line item? Yes, it replaces the legacy line item. So for a dedicated, they may still have an MDM to manage their enterprise phones, et cetera, but for their dedicated device product, like the product that they're building, if you're home automation company that's building some home automation, and for that product, we replace, we're like kind of the, everything you want to do with the device. We're kind of the last mile for the device. So we take over all the jobs or any one of the features that an MDM would do, as well as add on top all our value add onto that. And from looking through the website, it seems like you're facing the situation that many other startups face when they're looking at categories where if you just you know put all these new terms that people don't know or categories that people don't know, then no one's going to be able to buy. So you have to find this balance between talking about what people do know, which in your case, that's MDM, that's the established category, with what you want it to be and, and what that like future vision and that future state is. So how have you guys navigated that? Because I do see MDM is in, in quite a few places on the website. It, it's very prominent. So how are you balancing that where you're, you know, okay, we're part of this conversation around MDM, but it's not the conversation we want to be having. We want to be having a conversation about this new category. How do you navigate that? Yeah, it's really important. And we have to be really kind of pay attention to what we're doing there. And if you notice, like on a web, uh, like a front page, it says not just an MDM. So we kind of have to pay homage to that. Obviously, pragmatically for like you have to do for SEO, et cetera, you have to do it. It is no one's searching for like when we started this, no one's searching for DevOps for devices. That's not a thing. So how do we make it a thing? And I don't think it happens overnight. I'd say there's a thing that I used to say to investors and everybody else. People come to our website looking for an MDM. They leave with DevOps. And that's what you want to be able to kind of do is that's all they know. If somebody told them, hey, you, you got to manage devices, go to find an MDM. And so they search for an MDM. And hopefully early on, that was the only thing they're searching for. And now you get to like people are, well, there's some awareness. There's some, whether it's DevOps, it's like more about software deployment. It's about more monitoring. It's about more about some of the other things that we do. And so it's a slow transition. Like somebody told me creating a category is, is not easy. And now I know. And but it's the thing that we wanted, we have to do. And we want to do, and we want to be synonymous with it. And that's the nice thing about creating any category is if you're successful at it, you're the leader. And so it's really important. And did you have that insight from day one that this was going to be a category creation play? And if so, you know, is that what you were talking about with investors in those early days? Or did that come as you made it further into finding product market fit? Year and a half is where I would put it at. Um, after we started the company is when we started keying in on the term DevOps devices. So early on, we, like, we were kind of playing with this, this is security, this is this, et cetera, a lot of different things. Obviously, we didn't know, we knew what we wanted to build, but we didn't really know what it is, what we're trying to do. And so you can almost call it a minor pivot. The product was pretty much the same, but pivoting on the messaging and how we wanted to do it. And, and we 
since then, we've obviously we've tried, tested, evaluated many things and continue to learn what's going to land, what's the, um, what's not going to land. And that thing also evolves. If what lands now will not be what lands in about six months to a year, and it's a, it's a continuous effort. The main thing is you like learning your personas, learning your ICPs that you want to go target. There's a big difference for us. Many of our purchases are like the chief product officer or the CTO or um, the engineering lead versus like the IT person. So usually it's usually the product team or team in, involved with innovation that kind of decides that they want this infrastructure and they need this infrastructure. So our champion. So being able to talk to the right audience is really key. And how do you navigate that? If I'm just looking at titles on the testimonials, we have director of hardware, then we have a CTO, and then we have the director of next-gen restaurant technology. And, and that's just the testimonials. And it looks yeah. like there are you know, three very different industries. One of them is you know, Taco Bell. So yeah. how do you navigate that? How are you speaking to you know, the CTO of what you know, looks like a technology company and then the director of technology at Taco Bell? It seems like very, very different personas with, I'm guessing, very different objectives and, and very different pain points. In the end, and that's key, the, in the end, the problem they're trying to solve is making sure they can deploy and scale their fleet, scale their product easily, and be able to innovate at a reasonable pace. All three of those that you mentioned, they want to do that. And the key thing is to be able to kind of talk to that. And we've not always done it well, but that's the important thing that we need to be able to continue to do is be able to that that pain point and that use case and their what they want to accomplish from their product is what what's important. All of them are building a product. The director of hardware is doing some purchasing, but has a mandate probably on how he's going to scale the system, that how he's going to sell more hardware. And the director of innovation is like trying to innovate on the product and how does he get software and uh, out to this so he can innovate faster. So it's all the same problems, mm. and we just need to kind of talk to them. We're not talking different things to them. We're talking the same problem that they try to solve. That makes sense. So at surface level, if I just look at industries, it seems like it'd be wildly different. But if you actually dig deep, it's the same job to be done that they're all trying to do. Yeah, exactly. Whether you're sending software to a point of sale, to a washing machine, to a car, or to a healthcare monitoring you're trying to do the same thing. You're trying to build your system, build your product, deploy software, scale your fleet, and continue to innovate for the customer with all the competition that they may have. They want to be front and center into the customer experience that they have. Their customer may be an enterprise or actual customer, user. Regardless of that, they want to make sure that they're providing a experience that is encouraging them to use their product. Makes a lot of sense. And just to talk about growth or to demonstrate the growth that you're seeing, are there any numbers that you can share or any metrics that you can just tease our audience with? Our audience loves to hear metrics. The millions of devices is a thing. My goal is to be at billions in, in the future um, years. From a growth perspective, we had the best quarter this year. So despite all the macro conditions, we continue to grow land uh, deals. We have some of the biggest deals come through. We have amazing logos from all different verticals. And as you, as you can see from our website, they can from Taco Bell to other, like we have five of the top 10 restaurant chains using um, Esper. 
and you might not think like from a restaurant perspective, what's this? What like fifteen plus devices in a restaurant, from the kitchen display to point of sale to their busing on the kiosk, etc. And our goal is to be able to do software deployment across all these use cases. And so that's kind of like where the use cases we want to address. And the number of devices are just growing. Possibilities for people to provide value is continuing to grow. Makes a lot of sense. And what do you attribute to that successful growth? You know, I'm sure there's many, many things that you've gotten right. But if you had to pick, you know, one, two, three things that you've just really nailed and feel really confident about, what have you gotten right? Uh, building a product that is intuitive and easy to use, I think is key. Continuing to adapt. We balance features that we want to do that move the needle on kind of the category creation along with what the customer wants and customer needs. I think that's key, listening to our customers. And then number two is we're, like, I pride ourselves in going above and beyond in supporting them. While we're learning, we're also teaching them what we want. Their success, one of the things I instill into the company is their success means our success. The more devices they can scale and deploy without hindrance is better for us. So we're all in when, as far as like when a customer comes to us and wants to do a fleet, we don't just like, okay, you've got, you're going to use Esper. That's great. No, how are you going to use Esper? Or you have a problem, you have an issue that has maybe even unrelated to Esper. How can we help? We will always double down because we have that philosophy that I want every one of my customers to be a very successful and do have their business be successful because as long as they can scale, we can scale because we have tremendous growth opportunity. They are really good at their product. And last question here, since I know we're almost up on time. So let's zoom out three to five years from today. What's that vision? What is this company going to look like? When are you going to reach a billion devices? You know, what's that goal look like? And paint a picture for us for uh, through the future. So I'll start off with like the joy. Like one of the joys I get is being able to walk around airport, a restaurant, a home and see like, hey, that's running Esper. And that's what, like, we want to have more and more of those experiences that say that's running a sprint. Coming from Microsoft, like, that's kind of common, but it's even more, like, it's satisfying to be able to say that on a company that you've built. And so that's what we want to be continuing to do. We want Esper to be synonymous with, like, amazing device experiences in these use cases that we've talked about on these dedicated products. We want to be the place that people think about as they're building a product and that our customers are able to like just innovate with speed with Esper. So yes, billions of devices. Um, right now we're more in the high value, bigger items, but I want, I want it like the same experiences can be brought to any devices at the edge, any dedicated devices at the edge. And so we want to bring that value more and more to the ecosystem. Amazing. I love it. Well, before we wrap here, if people want to follow along with your journey, where's the best place for them to go? Follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, come to esper.io, learn about us. We've got some amazing blogs, amazing content that we're putting out to learn about the space, learn about the different technologies. So lots of places to come on and learn about Esper and what we do and how you can use us. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on, sharing your story, talking about what you're building helping educate me on what the hell MDM actually means. That makes a lot more sense now. And and letting me know that your devices are uh, in Taco Bell. So next time I go to uh, Taco Bell, I'll uh, 
be trying to peek around the devices and hopefully it's there. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yes. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much. It has been great uh, to be on here and talk about Esper. It's been amazing. Yeah. It's so great chatting with you. Best of luck and let's keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode.